everybody how y'all doing tonight it's good to see you guys we got a we got some announcements for y'all so if you guys want to pull out your calendars we got a lot to break open tonight 
Uh, first up, we got Omega Men's Breakfast uh, this Saturday, uh, not at Lake Camp. So don't show up there because you're going to freeze your tail off. And you're going to be ending up like a frozen piece of meat standing out there. We will be at Area 51 this time. So don't go out there. Uh, the cost is $10 for a meal. So uh, just remember that. Next up, we got water baptisms this Sunday. If you know of anybody, get them to sign up and guest services. Get them acquainted with some of the leaders here. We'll get them all signed up, ready to go, baptized this Sunday. But we are having water baptisms this Sunday, okay? Uh, join us Sunday, January 28th to celebrate the launch of the books Cross-Eyed and Asymmetrical Spiritual Warfare. This will be after service in the commons. You don't want to miss it. The first book, Cross-Eyed, is my father's book. That uh, It was a series that he did last year in January, focusing on the revelation of Jesus Christ and how it impacts every single believer's life and how we are supposed to live, walk, breathe, talk, and live is by everything who Jesus is. Okay, so be there to celebrate that and get you a book as well. Uh, Times of Manifestation, February 11th through the 14th at 7 p.m., it will be a believers meeting. Uh, who's going to be there? Is that uh, Kevin Powers? Kevin Powers will be there. And it will be a believers meeting focused on the uh, gifts of the Spirit. It will be a time uh, you guys bring friends, bring family. It's going to be an awesome time. Uh, next up, we got Disclosure Conference, which will be addressing biblical topics concerning today and the corruption and darkness that we see in this world today that are blinding people, that are affecting people's lives, and we're going to expose it. Amen? So we got my dad, Greg Hurd, and we got Kevin, and we got Bob Yannian himself, all in the flesh, here for that, for that uh, disclosure conference, okay? So to sign up, it's $50 per person, okay? $50 per person, and the date's on that are not on here. Okay. It's in, it's in April. It's in April. April 25th through 27th. Okay? So remember that. All right. We're going to worship the Lord with our tithes and offering. So we have Vision 2025 to give to to pay off all of our debt to uh, build a new building for the school. So we're in the process of that. So to make sure to be praying for that, keep that on your hearts. As we go into this season and continue to bless this place, continue to bless what the Lord has blessed already, and continue to watch it grow. Amen? Okay, so we're going to bless our offering. You got uh, on the seat backs ways to give, you got text to give, you got Church Center app, which will make it a whole lot easier for you. Uh, download that and get that quick, but we're going to bless this offering real quick. Lord God, I thank you so much for all that you've done. And I thank you for giving us everything that we could ever need to function in a place, to grow in a place, to be a part of a place that glorifies you and your name. And Lord, we bless this offering, we bless this tithe, and we give it unto you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, good evening, Lake Church. Good to see everybody tonight. Uh, we're going to get started here, get back in the book of Galatians. 
trying to push forward towards the end of this. <laughs> but I find myself getting in a hurry, and we don't need to do that because we don't want to skip any important stuff. So I'm going to try to slow down. Uh, there were some things I kind of kind of went over last week and kind of skipped just trying to hurry, and so I want to kind of back up and retake another run at that, try to get through this chapter tonight. Uh, but before I do, I want to share a couple things with you. We've been hearing people talk about different testimonies, things that they've been experiencing in their life. And I don't know if you were here Sunday morning, anybody here and heard uh, Pastor Karen's sister Kelly give her testimony? Amen. So good. But I know that a lot of things are happening in people's lives, and, and if you don't tell us about it, then we don't know. And we want to share what God's doing in people's lives with the rest of the congregation. It's such a blessing to hear people tell about, you know, experiencing God in different ways. So, just want to encourage you, if you have something, uh, whether it be you just have really come to know God in a new way through the revelation of the teaching, or maybe God has touched you and you've been healed of some sickness or disease or been delivered from some sort of addiction or disorder that you've been struggling with. We have these cards in the seat backs. They just say, praise the Lord. But you can write that testimony on the back of this, drop it in the offering bucket, and then we can get these and we can contact you, find out what your experience was, and possibly have you share it or, or we could share it. <laughs> but we want, the, we want the body to know what's going on. Uh, we want people to be able to celebrate and be encouraged. Now, we don't get faith from miracles, but we get hope. And hope pushes us toward a pursuit of faith. Uh, you know, when we hear God moving in somebody's life, it encourages us that God can move in our lives as well. So don't discount anything. Be sure and write it down so we know about what's going on, okay? And then one other thing, something new that we're going to start doing most Wednesday nights, we do verse-by-verse -verse Bible studies. Sometimes we do topical, but most of the time we take a book, such as Galatians, and we, we do a verse-by-verse -verse study of it. So pastor had the idea that at the end of these, we're going to do a Q&A session. So we'll probably teach part of the night on the last night, and then we'll take the last half of that session, and uh, we'll address questions that people have. I've always thought that, you know, in the corporate setting, preaching really a lot of times creates more questions than it necessarily does answers. And I know a lot of people walk out of here hearing things and they're, you know, mulling it over in their own mind. And we want to give you an opportunity to ask questions and we can address those at the end. So we made these little cards. They're going to be in the seatbacks as well, but I don't think they're there tonight. So you can just write your question on the back, drop it in the uh, offering bucket. We'll gather those up and we'll have them. And then the last night of teaching this book, we'll address those questions. So be sure and do that as you're taking notes, as we're going th through things and, you know, things come to your mind, grab one of these, write your question down, drop it in there on the way out, okay? Amen. Well, God is good. We're going to get into Galatians chapter 5. Go ahead and open there. Uh, open to verse 13. Uh, like I said, I'm going to kind of step back just a little and, and uh, take a run and start at this. So in verse 13 it says, for, bre for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. 
Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we've been talking about in the book of Galatians that we don't relate to God on a legal basis, uh, but on a, rela- on a covenantal basis and through faith. That's how we relate to God. We relate to Him based on faith in what Jesus did for us through His death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and seating at the right hand of God. And our faith is toward our identification with Him. Because you know, in Ephesians 2, it says that He made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together with Him, and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So God included us. We were included in all of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And our faith in that causes uh, an inward change in us and inspires and empowers us to walk in authority, dominion, victory over all of the principalities and powers and might and dominion and death that sin brought into the world, which I'm talking about sickness, disease, disorders, addiction, all the negative things that are oppressing and afflicting mankind. Jesus raised us up and seated us in authority over all of the kingdom of darkness and all of the works of darkness. Okay, so we don't try to earn our way into uh, favor with God. We were born into favor with God. (laughs) As many as received Jesus, He gave the right to become children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs of God and join heirs with Jesus Christ. What are we heirs of? We're heirs of our Father's kingdom. Okay, so while we're still here on earth... We are to occupy till Jesus returns. You know, I was reading Psalm 110 last night. And uh, verse 2, it says that He'll send the rod of His strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. See, victory for the Christian isn't in heaven. It's in bringing heaven to earth. I'm going to say that again. Victory for the Christian isn't in heaven. We're not waiting for victory. God's waiting for us to enforce the victory that Jesus already accomplished through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But we've been, so we've been brought into a place of liberty, great liberty. We're no longer enslaved to the law. He delivered us from the law. We're no longer bearing the burden of our own salvation, trying to earn our way, trying to, trying to uh, work to be righteous, trying to work to be reconciled with God. We're living from a revelation of those things, not for it. So we've been brought into great liberty, but we don't use that liberty uh, as a way to be an opportunity for our own flesh, but through love. See, we, we, were, met, we were given liberty to live the way God always created and designed us to live. That's the liberty, is the liberty to be who God always intended for us to be. And how do we do that? Through love, we serve one another. Well, I tell you what, if we could just get that alone. Because love is the fulfillment of the law. You know, Paul was talking to, you know, teaching the church, and 
A lot of people who were wanting to try and use the law to be made righteous or fulfill the law. He's basically saying here, you want to fulfill the law? Then through love serve one another and you will. Not every detail of it, but the spirit of it. See, that's the intention. Is God's intent was, was not that we are fulfilling the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Which means the purpose for which he gave it. The spirit of the law is to walk in the nature and the character of God. That's what the law is. It is a, it is a uh, definition of God's nature and his character. Love would do no wrong to its neighbor. So when we walk in love, we fulfill the law. It's so simple. Trying to keep 613 commands uh, is not very simple. In fact... Is there anyone here that could come up and name about 10 of them? <laughs> well, listen, if you think that, it's in, that you have to keep those in order to be right with God, you better at least know what they are. <laughs> no, listen, the way I keep the law is I learn to uh, operate in love. And when I do that, I automatically keep the law. Look at these verses in 1 Timothy um, let's see here. First Timothy 1 and verse 5. It says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and from sincere faith. You know how that comes about? First revelation that we have of love is God's love to us. In fact, if you go to 1 John and study that out, he shows us the cycle of perfection in love. It's God's love to us. God's love in us. If I abide in love, I abide in God and God abides in me. And then it's God's love through me to other people. That's the completion of maturity in love. But it starts with a revelation of God's love toward us. That's what he says. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. It starts there. Then we begin to uh, develop in God's love within us so that we can actually flow in God's love toward other people. The purpose of the commandment is love. It's for us to be like our Father. You know, all parents want to look at their children and see themselves. That's what they look for. In fact, some parents fight over whether they look more like mom or they look more like dad. Why? Everybody looks for themselves. Just like when you look at a photo of a group of people and you're in it, who do you look at? You don't look at everybody else, you're looking at you. <laughs> and the father delights in seeing himself in his children. That's the purpose of raising a child, is that you teach them and train them in your wisdom so that they're able to represent you well. See, that's what God was doing when he created mankind. He was creating uh, not members of a religion, but members of a family. He made us in His image and in His likeness so that we could be accurate represent representatives of His kingdom here on the earth. So the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, which that comes from faith. Having our heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. Hebrews chapter 10. You know what an evil conscience is? A guilty conscience. If you have a guilty conscience, you're still trying to 
work for and earn God's favor. So the blood of Christ will cleanse your conscience from dead works so that you can serve the living God from sincere faith. Not um, trying to manipulate God. That's what religion is. I'm trying to do stuff to force God's hand. Okay? See, God doesn't respond to us. He's not in debt to any man. God moved on our behalf and completed His work. That's why we see Jesus seated. When He ascended to heaven and sat down, it wasn't because the work of redemption, you know, when He got to the end of it, He was just pooped. And He just had to take a seat. (laughs) No, it's because He's finished. There's nothing left to do. So the gospel reveals the complete, perfect, and finished work of Christ. And we, by faith, respond to what He has done. What He did for us, independent of us, and in the age we live in, before we were ever even born. We hear the gospel, and faith happens inside of us. Why? Faith comes. It's not something I do. It's not something I produce. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. When I hear the works of Christ, faith arises in my heart to step out and act on and partake of what He's already done for me. Faith can't make anything happen. You can't use faith to make anything happen that doesn't already exist. Faith only appropriates what God has already provided through Jesus Christ. And He's already provided the new nature, the new character on the inside of us through the Holy Spirit and the new creation that we are in Christ. We need to get convinced that when we were born again, something happened. Something changed. That we weren't just, you know, uh, refurbished. but that we died and were raised to newness of life. I'm not the same person. The person who was before Christ is dead and buried. And when Christ was raised, He was left in the grave. And I was raised with Him, one with Him, now in union with Him. A brand new person, a brand new creation, such as never existed before. A person possessed by God. (laughs) On the inside. A person with the spiritual DNA of God. Mm. Goodness. So that we could operate in the nature and character of God. Look at this. He says, From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. This is what happens when religion starts. People start arguing about words. A lot of the division that happens among the members of the body of Christ just has to do with words. <clears throat> Love is a higher level. You know. He says, desiring to be teachers of the law. Let me go back. From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Here's what the purpose of it was. They were desiring to be teachers of the law. Understanding neither what they say nor the things they affirm. These people who were coming and teaching believers to keep the law and to follow all of these, these things were written in the law of Moses, they didn't understand the purpose for which the law was given. Never to save us, but to reveal our need for a Savior. 
He says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So even in the dispensation we live in, there is a right use of the law. And I really, myself, I have been kind of thinking about how important it is to understand what the law says since I've been teaching this. Not so that we can keep it. Because when we understand the true purpose of the law, it'll cause us to realize that we could never keep it. And stop trying to justify ourselves and fully trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work for our justification, for our righteousness, for transformation. It really puts us in the right position to actually start functioning in relation to God the way he always intended for us to. Remember, I talked about Romans 3. It says, Do we by faith make void the law? He said, by no means, we uphold it. When we, when we stop trying to justify ourselves and we put our faith fully in Jesus, we don't make void the law. We uphold it for the purpose that it was given for. We actually prove that we actually understand why God gave it to begin with. Not to keep, not to keep to try and save ourselves with it. But we've looked at it and we realize that we're a sinner. A transgressor of the law. See, that's what the law shows you. You think you're good? Check this out. (laughs) Remember I talked about if you've sinned one time, you're disqualified. Because God's standard of righteousness is absolute perfection. And even, even in James, he said, if you keep the whole law and fail in one point, you're guilty of all of it. See, we're supposed to look at the law and go, oh my goodness, if that's what God required, who could be saved? Come on. <laughs> and then Jesus steps on the scene. and goes, I'm going to do what you could never do. And I'm going to give it to you as a free gift. If you put faith in me and trust in me. Listen, he can do something with somebody who will humble themselves and say, I can of myself do nothing. Paul said, there is nothing good in me that is in my flesh. When we realize the only thing good in us is not our own will, not our own strength, but only Christ in us. Paul said, I would rather boast in my weakness because in my weakness, Christ's strength is made manifested in me. It's only when we admit our weakness that we are able to be made strong by the life of Christ. Amen. So the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Well, who's righteous? Is he talking about by your works, by your actions? No. Romans chapter uh, 2 says, There is none righteous. There is none who do good. There is none who seek after God. That's the revelation you got to get. Who's a righteous man? The person who's been justified by faith in Jesus Christ and His works alone. The law was never made for a righteous man. That's why once you come to Christ, you don't use the law anymore. You use faith in the finished work of Jesus and identification and internalizing the truths of who you are now. In union with Him. Hmm. I'm not going to go through all of those verses because we could be on that for a little while. But um, <laughs> I know I need to move on. That clock is tick, tick, ticking away. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, look at verse chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 16. 
He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, I said this last week, I believe. It seems like we have spiritual dyslexia. We read that backwards. If I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, I'll walk in the Spirit. That's not what it says. So we get it twisted. It says if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Most believers' interaction uh, spiritually is trying to quit sinning. A lot of people, that's their whole... You know, you take away that, what do they have left? It's just trying not to sin. In fact... You're more sin conscious than you are sun conscious. Because of it. Listen, whatever you focus on is magnified in your life. You focus on sin, you're going to sin more. If you would actually focus on what Christ has accomplished in your life, if you would focus on that, you would live holier by accident than you ever did on purpose. Mm, But religion binds you. It gets you focused on... Because listen, just focusing on your sin is just focusing on your flesh. It's not focused on the inward man. It's focused on the outward man. And you can focus on the outward man all the time and miss. Oh, man. Paul said we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You can be so focused on trying to dress up the vessel that you miss the treasure that's within. Oh, man. I'll say this. When you discover the treasure that's within, you'll quit trying to dress up the vessel. (laughs) What's within will begin to affect what is without. I say, walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh... Lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. Some translations say opposite. So that you do not do the things that you wish. So the spirit and the flesh are opposite. I like to think of it like this. If I walk east, I can't walk east and west at the same time. Okay, so if I walk in the Spirit, then by default, I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. See what I'm saying? Let me say that again. What he says here is walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I can learn to walk in the Spirit, if I walk in the Spirit, I will by default not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if I am focused on the flesh... I, I, can, I can try to stop sinning in this area and stop sinning in this area and stop sinning in this area and never walk in the Spirit. Come on. Come on. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What's that mean? You don't need to be. Walking in the Spirit fulfills it. So what do we need to focus on? Learning how to walk in the Spirit. If we would do that, everything else would begin to take care of itself. Listen, I was, you know, I, I hesitate to even talk about it, but, you know, in my life before Christ, you know, I was bound by addictions and things like that. And there were times where I faced um, 
let's just say that if I didn't stop, I was going to face some real heavy consequences. So I would try to stop doing the things that were getting me in trouble. And you know what? As long as there was a threat, then I could, you know, I could use that to stay away from things. But I wasn't free. Because the minute the threat was gone, booyah! (laughs) You know, I went to rehab for two years. The day I got out, I used. See, I wasn't delivered. See, fear is not a good motivator. We don't need behavior modification. We need transformation. See, God's not in the behavior modification business. He's in the transformation business. He wants to make you a brand new person. To where living and walking in the Spirit just is second nature because that's who you are. Okay, so I, I remember, you know, I could try with all of my strength and all of my willpower to just not do certain things, but it never brought me into the life of the Spirit. But, you know, once I surrendered my life to the Lord, and I started getting in the Word, and I started getting the revelation of who I was in Christ as a new creation, man, it changed what I believed about myself. You know, I meditated on that. If any man is in Christ, he is. And it doesn't say he might be, he's becoming, he's in the process of. No, it says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. And I love the next verse. It says, and all things are of God. Hmm. I tell you what, I started realizing, man, in him, I was brand new. In him, the old Kevin died and was buried and and put away. And in him, I was made brand new. And this new person that I was, was all God. (laughs) I'm talking about inside. I'm talking about the new creation man. You know... It, you know, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians six seventeen, He who has joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. That's what the new creation is. It's your spirit man. What's that mean? It means Christ's spirit and my spirit have come into union as one now. Yeah. And that word one in the Greek uh, means to the exclusion of another. It means literally one. (laughs) I'm just going to let that hang there for effect. That's an amazing revelation. Think about that. I and Christ are one. In the Spirit. That means what's true of Him is true of me. Listen, when we became one, He didn't take on my attributes. I took on His. My old man was swallowed up in his new life. And when I began to believe that, man, when I began to to change my identity and believe about myself, hey, I am not an alcoholic. 
I am not a drug addict. I am not a criminal. I am not destined for destruction. When I actually believed that, then the ability rose up on the inside of me to actually believe. I am a son of God. I am a new creation. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. There's no power, authority, work of the devil that can have a place in my life. And I began to just, man, that stuff just lost its grip. And I hate to say it that way, honestly, because, <laughs> but it did. I didn't, tr- you know, Rhonda could attest to that. I didn't, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, back and forth on it. But I think the reason why is because I wasn't trying to change my behavior. I was changing my belief. God was changing what I believed about me. My faith was lining up with what God said about me. And it was, you know, what, what God says about us isn't just uh, wishful thinking. He's revealing something to you. <laughs> He's telling you the truth. See, the only, there's only one faith. It's what He declares to be true. Hmm. Now, your circumstances may, may try and tell you something different. Wow. Who are you going to agree with? Come on. Who are you going to agree with? You know, the book of Amos says, how can two walk together lest they agree? God's not going to get in agreement with me. I've got to get in agreement with Him. If I'm going to walk with God, I have to come into agreement with Him. Listen, what you say about yourself holds more weight than anybody else. Where you need to get things right is in your own mind. Why do, we th- why do you think we exhort you to get in the Word? It's not to give you something else to do. It's because that's the source of revelation. How can you know who you are in the unseen part of you, in the Spirit, unless you take the Word of God which reveals who you are, and you begin to embrace that, you begin to internalize that, you begin to identify with it until you're convinced, this is who I am. Then when the devil comes along and says, hey, will not you try a little bit of this? You're like, who are you talking to? <laughs> who are you talking to? That don't, have no, that don't have no sway over me. That's not who I am. Oh, come on. Come on. I, de- I truly believe identification is the key to transformation. Yeah. The Bible says we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Being made new again. Being brought back to understanding who God created yeah. us to be in the beginning before the fall. Making our mind new according to what the Word of God declares about us. How many people think of renewing the mind as just figuring out what's right and what's wrong? That's not what he's talking about. You already know what's right and wrong. Man. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come to to lead you into all truth. And he said that he was wanting to tell them things that he couldn't reveal to them until the Spirit of truth comes. Now listen... If it's talking about moral truth, what's right and what's wrong, Jesus had already been talking about that. They had been raised under the law. 
The Israel had been under the law for a couple thousand years. I do not for one minute believe that he was talking about he's going to lead and guide you into moral truth. In other words, what's right and what's wrong. The word truth means reality. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of reality, would come and lead you into another reality. A newness of life that isn't uh, attainable in your flesh. But that you would be awakened to the reality that you are a new creature. That you have been born of God. When Jesus said you must be born again, it's the, fra- the phrase in the Greek is born from above. That's what he's saying. You have to be born from above. You literally go through a brand new experience of being born into the kingdom of God. Born of God. Oh, man. Born a brand new person. Look at this verse in Romans chapter 6. He says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. You know how conversely you could say, Sin shall have dominion over you if you are under the law and not under grace. Romans chapter 7 teaches you put yourself under the law, sin's going to reign. We think, oh, well, if we, we put the guardrails up or we put the street signs up, we'll slow down. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, well, if we have the speed limit sign up there, we'll obey it, right? No. We know we got that nine mile an hour grace. <laughs> don't look at me like that (laughs) you know it's true listen grace is the only thing that can break the dominion of sin off your life not law The, the whole dispensation of the law proved in fact it says in Romans 5 that God gave it so that sin would reign Man. Why? People didn't realize they were sinners by nature. So he gave something that would cause the sin nature to rise up and rule over them. Okay, so sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. But if you're under the law and not under grace, we looked at Galatians chapter 5. It says you have fallen from grace. And you're severed from Christ. Man. Serious stuff. Let's go back to Galatians 5 verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. I like that. They're evident. Anybody can spot them. It doesn't take a whole lot to realize what the works of the flesh are. But he gives us a list. Not a comprehensive list. Just some examples. Because listen, there's a whole lot more than this. But I'm going to go ahead and read them. It says, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, And the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you 
in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I wanted to address this because, you know, there's varying viewpoints on what that phrase means. And um, I think it, a lot of people struggle with that because on an extreme interpretation of that, people will say what that means is if that you... Let me, let me ask you this. So if a person, a believer, commits one of these acts... Have they lost their salvation? Man, you guys are good students. Okay, because that's an extreme. The word, um, those who practice such things, means if they are continuing to operate in the works of the flesh. It doesn't mean doing one over and over. But if you, this is kind of the um, evident in your life, these types of things... Now, I find it interesting when you look at the list, some of that stuff we go, yeah, adultery, fornication, murders. But how about selfish ambition? How about selfish ambition? How about contention? (laughs) I can tell y'all don't like that. (laughs) How about outbursts of wrath? Uh Uh-oh. Listen, for some reason, our religious minds always go to the extreme. Come on. I don't know why. It seems like people want to fight for people's right to lose their salvation. Come on. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I was having a conversation one time with somebody. And I, I said, they were like, well, you know... Um, if I got saved by choice, then I have the choice not to be saved. I said, well, do you not want to be saved? Well, no. <laughs> let, me, let me share this with you. In the UBS handbook, I thought this was really good. Because uh, really this teaching we've been talking about for weeks. About the fact that we aren't justified by our performance. So if you read that, if you think that it's, you lose your salvation by these, if you're doing these things, um, don't do these things. Let me just say that up front. (laughs) This is a warning. Okay. But um, we, it doesn't fit with what he's been saying over and over and over and over again. Now, you know, we tend to go to, oh, this is heaven and hell. That, that's what people tend to think about a lot. But has he mentioned going to heaven? Has he mentioned going to hell in any of this book? No, he's talking about our lifestyle and our relationship with God while we're here on earth. So the first rule of interpretation is context. Problem is people take one verse, they read it, and they allow their biases to interpret what that verse means. Rather than taking the whole context of what's being said. You know, context is the most important rule of interpretation. But it's also probably the most violated. In fact, you know, in our world today, you know, they violate context all the time. They take sound bites out of a whole speech. They'll clip a few seconds worth, show it, and cause it to look like a person is saying something that they're not actually saying. Because they lift it out of the context. 
If we want to be good Bible scholars, if we want to get down to the proper interpretation of Scripture, then we have to use the, the rule of context. And we have to compare Scripture with Scripture. Allow the Bible to interpret itself, not us wrestle Scriptures into saying what we think they should mean. Man. But the UBS handbook, let me share this with you if I can find it here. I got this. It is a handbook that is used in translation of Scripture from original language to English. And so they are talking about... Um, we're talking about this passage. <clears throat> Let me share you what, what it says here. This is what I believed. It says, Having listed all these works of the flesh, Paul pointed out that the people who practice these things will not enter the kingdom of God, or it actually says inherit the kingdom of God. These are characteristics of unsaved people. However, Christians can commit these acts also. Does this mean that any Christian who's guilty of something listed here has lost their salvation? Definitely not. So in the UBS handbook, it says this phrase, shall not inherit the kingdom of God, may be rendered as will not enjoy having God rule over them. So listen, let me, let me go back to what I was saying earlier. You can't walk east and west at the same time. You're not going to inherit the experience of living in the blessing of the kingdom of God on earth if your life is continually, uh, if you're living by the flesh. Does that make sense? That's what he's talking about. We need to walk in the spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh and we can experience life the way God intended for us to experience. We, we can live in a life that is not dominated by selfish ambition, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. You know, honestly, he's talking about it in the church. <laughs> he's not even talking about in your personal life at home. He's talking about in the church. I figured that would probably go over about like that. You mean in the church people? Absolutely. Because you can be a carnal Christian. So is this either a, is this an unsaved person? This a, a, or, you know, an unbeliever? Or is this a carnal Christian who hadn't grown up and matured in spirit? And they're still... Exi- you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I don't have this in my notes, but let me flip over here and read this. We have to grow up and mature in the nature and the character of God. And one of the main reasons why is so that we can uh, promote love and unity as a body. You know, he said in, uh, when I read verse 13, where it said, don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. He goes on and says, be careful you don't bite and devour one another. That's what he's talking about. We need to walk in love because love is the perfect bond of unity. And God's number one intent among the church is that we are in unity. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. 
I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. Look at this. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So the condition of the church was they were all divided because they were immature, carnal believers. Did he say you're not saved anymore? You're unbelievers? No, he said you're carnal. You haven't grown up. You're still, uh, you're still behaving like mere men. What he's saying is these believers are behaving like unsaved people. So it's possible... Now listen, I'm not teaching, I'm not teaching it, you this to give you an excuse. I'm trying to free you up so you can be empowered to live right. But live from love, a good conscience, and sincere faith. You know, if we really have an, an, a revelation of what God has done for us in Christ, it should motivate us to live for Him. Not out of threat of punishment and fear, but out of love and gratitude and appreciation for what he's done for us. Okay, so let me go back here. Does that make sense? Okay, so <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Come on. You imagine a congregation of people all exhibiting and, and manifesting the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what we could get done? Come on. Oh man, we'd be in a, we would be in unity because we were, would be through love serving one another. Yeah. There wouldn't be anything burdensome that the Lord would ask us to do because we would have... We would have liberty, and in our liberty, we would be choosing to love. Man. See, really, the evidence of spiritual maturity is these things. Not gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to say that to this side. Come on. <laughs> the evidence of spiritual maturity is not gifts of the Spirit. So we are so... Mm, we tend to look at people who are gifted and assume that they're mature. People who are operating in gifts of the Spirit and they prophesy and do all these things... We tend to think that that is maturity, but it's not. Because gifts are given. You get that when you're born again. You have all of your gifts. It's there. You have to develop your proficiency in them. But that is not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is when the giftings and what you do is uh, governed by love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is meant to govern the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. 
See, in fact, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul teaches them on the gifts of the Spirit, he wasn't introducing them to the gifts of the Spirit. He was actually uh, putting a limit on it. He told them, let's just let about three of you guys speak, and then we'll call it good. Because they were all wanting to prophesy. They were all wanting to speak in tongues. They were all wanting to do all these things, but they were immature, so they were doing it as a way of drawing attention to themselves. See, Paul wasn't teaching to introduce them to it. He was teaching them, in fact, between chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, and chapter 14, is what chapter? The love chapter. Why is that in there? He says, well, let me show you a more excellent way. He said, pursue love and desire gifts. There he shows you that the primary pursuit of the believer is love and then desire spiritual gifts. But man, I mean, we get it. We get it backwards. Because everybody wants, well... Time out. Because people admire people who are uh, people of love and joy and peace and stuff like that. But they're in awe of people who exhibit gifts. Mm. And gifts of the Spirit aren't meant to be oohed and awed over in the church. They're meant to be tools to bring deliverance uh, and healing and things to people's lives. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So how do we develop these things as I'm getting ready to close? The development of them, let me say this first of all. When you're born again, you have all these attributes. You receive the nature of God. These attributes are the nature and character of God. God is love. That's what he is. Okay? And these other things are all attributes of love. So, um, you have them in you already. Say, boy, I don't feel like it sometimes. (laughs) That's just because your flesh is dominant. See, the flesh is, when the flesh is dominating. Let me say this. We were given authority and dominion, and we all want to use it on somebody else. <laughs> I want to cast the devil out of somebody else. <laughs> but do you know the primary place you should be exercising authority and dominion? Over your own territory. In fact, when God gave dominion to man in Genesis 1, He never gave you dominion over other people. (laughs) So we're supposed to exercise dominion over the flesh. You know? And honestly, if you can't even say no to your flesh, how are you going to say no to the devil? Uh Uh-oh. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, we give the devil too much credit. Yeah. 
The Bible tells me that uh, he has delivered us from the authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. We, the, the devil is defeated. He has been defeated in the life of the believer. He has to get you to cooperate. Oh, man. <laughs> See, we, we, it's, it's convenient to blame everything on the devil. A lot of this stuff is just. <laughs> you know, let me say this too. You know, for a lot of years, the church was trying to explain away the supernatural. And we lost sight of the fact that there are demons. And that demons afflict people and oppress people and things like that. But, you know, a lot of times what happens when we get a revelation of something, we go all the way over to the other side now. Everything's a demon. <laughs> oh, I got a cold. That devil. <laughs> I gained that 10, 10 pounds over the holiday. The devil's working. <laughs> no, maybe it's just my flesh. In fact, <laughs> you know, I'm jumping ahead, but in chapter 6... You know, he says, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. Sow to the Spirit. And so, you know, I wonder how much of the stuff we call an attack of the enemy is actually just a harvest on sowing to the flesh. Now, listen, I believe that there's times the devil needs to be cast out. But honestly, that's out there. You have authority over the devil. Jesus gave us the, he gave us the example. When the devil came to Jesus, what did he do? It is written. And he quoted the word to him. And you know what the Bible says? The devil left him for a season. James says this, submit yourself to God. In other words, submit to the word. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. You, have, you don't need somebody. You have authority over the devil. You have authority over the devil in your life. In fact, you have more authority over the devil in your life than I do in your life. I have to get you to cooperate with me if we're going to do something about the devil in your life. I can't just take authority over you and the devil. In fact, when somebody comes, if they don't want rid of the devil, (laughs) some people like their demons. You know, some people are comfortable with the things that they're struggling with. Some people hold on to those things because they get attention from them. Y'all are going to have to tell me you love me because the way you're looking at me right now. <laughs> we have authority over him. I feel like I went way around here. But what I'm wanting to say is that your nature is, is the fruit of the Spirit. How do you develop it? You have to let the Holy Spirit begin to, to convince you. And you identify with that. See, when something happens, you have a choice. Somebody's flesh rubs you the wrong way, then you can either get in the flesh... See what I'm saying? You have a choice because you have it in you. But you have to, con- you have to be convinced this is who you are. You know, I, I shared this last week, but I, 
The first two classes I took in Bible school, one was called righteousness, which God knew what I needed. Because I grew up in legalism, and I had no idea, you know. And uh, then the fruit of the Spirit was the other class. And man, it just, I realized I have to grow and mature in the nature of God. And so I used to take those verses. I mean, because I got them memorized. I mean, I would tell myself, Kevin, you are a person of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I told myself that every day. You are. Did it always seem like it? No, because, you know, me and Rhonda's told you our testimony. Me and Jesus were getting along great. (laughs) It was me, though. It was me. (laughs) Um, But you you have to tell yourself. You know what the Holy Spirit's trying to do? He's trying to convince you of who you are. And you have to take that by faith. You know, faith isn't faith if it's evident. Man, where faith really comes in is when everything looks like it's contrary to what the Word says. You know, when, you're, when you're, you and your spouse are at each other, that's when you need to say, I'm a person of love. I'm a person of joy. I'm a person. Because listen, you just get in the weeds with them. That ain't going to solve anything. But here's what I want to say. The more you identify with that, every time that you choose love, it's going to become more natural. Every time. So see, these, these situations are opportunities to exercise. Y'all don't seem that excited about that. But every time you act in love instead of in contention, it becomes more na- it becomes more apparent to you that that's who you are. Every time. And over time, as you continue to walk in the Spirit, because that's what it is, that's walking in the Spirit. It's walking in harmony with who you truly are. The more you step into that, the more when you don't feel like rejoicing, you just rejoice anyway. Come on now. Because listen, sometimes it ain't funny. Sometimes life comes at you, and, and you know, you have to choose joy. Do you know you have the ability to do that? That's what it means to have dominion. You get to choose. That's the great thing about grace. He's given us the ability to choose. He's given us the ability to choose something different. You get to choose it. And every time you do, it becomes more apparent that that's who you are. And you grow in it. And you go from a babe to an adolescent in Christ. Then you go from an adolescent to an adult in Christ. And before you know it, that's, it's just, that's who you are now. Mm. And against such, there is no law. Against such, there is no law. There's nobody who's going to indict you for loving people. 
You can choose joy. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote the epistle of joy, the book of Philippians. You know where he was at? In prison. And not the, <laughs> you know, some of these places, you know, they're, they're not nothing like what he was in. They got TV and, you know, I mean, it's no place you want to be, but the Apostle Paul was in sewage up to his waist. And he was not in there for doing something wrong. He was in there for doing what was right. Man, if anybody had an excuse or a reason not to rejoice, it would have been him. But in the epistle uh, to the Philippians, he said, Rejoice! And again I say, rejoice. Hallelujah, we can choose. We can choose. Amen. Let's just stand. Father God, we just thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your word, Father God. I thank you that you have made us a new creation nation, a new people. The power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to transform us from the inside out. That we can demonstrate your nature and your character to a world that hasn't seen anything like it before. In this world, love and those things all have strings attached. There are no strings attached to your love. We thank you, Father God. We just take time to just worship you and appreciate you right now. Thank you for working in our lives. Thank you for your precious word. I speak blessing over your people right now in the name of Jesus. I speak blessing. I speak that they be encouraged, Father God, to grow up into Him who is the head, even Christ, to mature manhood, to an accurate representation of who you are, Father God, so that we can unite in the church so that we can come together and you can manifest yourself through a people. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, we worship you, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. You are so good. Hallelujah. Just thank you, Father God. We just create an atmosphere right now. Just begin to exalt the Lord and give Him praise. For He inhabits the praises of His people. Father, You're so good. We magnify You. We exalt You in this place. We don't want to leave without giving You the glory that You're so worthy of. Hallelujah. Thank You, Father God. We worship You. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. As we close, I just want to encourage you that, you know, if you're going through anything that you need to come into agreement with someone about, we're going to have ministers up front here who would love to take time to minister to you and pray with you tonight. If there's anybody here you've never received Jesus as Lord before, we want to invite you to do that. Maybe you've received Jesus, but you've never received the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That is a free gift, just like salvation is. We offer that to you tonight. Jesus still saves, He still heals, He still delivers. So whatever you're going, if you're struggling with anything in in your life tonight, we invite you to come forward as we dismiss.
and get someone to come into agreement with you. Amen. Amen. God is good. You are dismissed.